We're continuing this morning our look at the great stories of the Bible. These stories that most of us, we, this is the ones we learned first. The, the ones we remember the best that uh, we kind of get excited about when we look at them in Scripture. We've looked at a number of stories now. You remember we started with Noah and the flood. And we saw in that story that God can ask of you and un me. He can ask the unthinkable. Things we wouldn't think He would ask. He, he can ask the unpleasant. We also learned a, a tough lesson in that story that, man, God's going to judge sin. It might look like a person, a group, a nation is, is getting away with something for a period of time. But folks, at the end of the day, God is always going to judge sin. And what we saw in that flood is, man, the cleanup, the cleanup after that judgment comes is long and it is, it is messy. We looked at uh, David and Goliath. And we learned the great truth that there is no situation, there is no person that is bigger than God in your life. But watch this. God will actually allow things into our lives. Things that you and I feel like are giants. Things that you and I feel overwhelmed by. God will allow at times these giants into our lives. Because it's in that moment. It's in that giant that we have our greatest opportunity to see how big God is. Not the giant, but how big God is. We also looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We learned one simple truth. He is God. Period. Regardless of what I think God has done for me this week or what He hasn't done for me this week, He is worthy of our praise, our worship, our adoration, our love. He's, He's worthy of our trust and faith. He's worthy of our obedience. And of course, folks, you've never lived a week on this planet where God hasn't done something for you. Because if nothing else, there's always the cross. There's always the greatest display of His love and His power for you. That cross is always there. So He is always worthy. Now today, man, we come to a a giant in the landscape of God's great stories of the Bible. We come to the man Moses. Have you ever thought about the great stories of the Bible and how many of them have Moses in it? I mean, a a lot of the great stories, you know, they feature one character once. Moses shows up over and over and over. A lot of us remember, especially as kids, maybe learning about that day that Moses' mom put him in that basket made out of reeds and put him on the river in, in the River Nile to protect his life from the soldiers. And, and, and then there, there's Moses and the burning bush, which we're going to look at today. And then we go from there and there's Moses before the Pharaoh and the ten plagues, those, those ten awful judgments against Egypt for their sin, their rebellion, their idolatry. Then there's Moses before the parting of the Red Sea. Then there's Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from God. And there's more. I mean, how does one guy, one man's life end up in so many of the great stories of the Bible? You know, I don't think there's any one verse that says, here's why. But you know what? There's a couple of verses that describe Moses' life for us. A couple of verses, short, simple verses that give us some real insight into Moses' life. There's Exodus 33.11 that says that the Lord spoke to Moses. It doesn't say this about another person. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face. 
That, that was a, a, a phrase used in the Hebrew language that really implied an intimacy, a closeness, a, a deep friendship. God spoke to him face to face, just like a, a man speaks to a friend. And, and then there's uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, that says that Moses was, the, was a very humble man. The most humble man on the earth. You know, folks, you and I tend to separate ourselves from these Bible characters. And we say, man, I, I, can't, I couldn't be like them. I, I, I don't know that God would ever use me like that. But folks, it, it wasn't Moses' strength. It wasn't his power. It wasn't his knowledge. It wasn't something special about Moses that separated him from any of us in here. Moses was humble. And you know what we get in there? Our first great lesson. Now, it's not the lesson from the burning bush, but it's a lesson just from Moses' life at large. Folks, your opportunity to be great for God does not lie in your greatness. It lies in your humility. Does not lie in your greatness, but it lies in your humility. Now, would you believe that this great man of God, this, this man who appears in so many of these great stories of the Bible, would you believe this all started with Moses saying, man, I don't want anything to do with this. I, I, God, go, go make a great story out of somebody else. Leave me out of it. Yeah, that's how this ball got rolling. And we see that this morning in Exodus chapter 3. Would you turn there with me now? Exodus chapter 3. It's one of the easy books to find. It's second. Genesis, Exodus. So uh, just open up the beginning of your Bible and you'll get there. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I hope you'll use one of ours there in the chair so you can read and study along. If you can't reach it, I know somebody will hand it to you. Exodus chapter 3. Now while you're turning to Exodus 3, I'm going to read a passage from the New Testament. I'm going to read something from Acts chapter 7. Uh, a little background information, which is kind of funny, isn't it? We're turning to the New Testament to get background information about an Old Testament character. But in, in Acts chapter 7, uh, a guy by the name of Stephen is preaching a sermon in which he kind of summarizes the whole Old Testament. And, and so he gives us a, a very brief snapshot of Moses' life right before he arrives at the burning bush. So I wanted to use this just for a quick snapshot. Verse 23 of chapter 7 says, as he, that's Moses, as he was approaching the age of 40, he decided to visit his brothers, the sons of Israel. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and he avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. You might remember it says in, the, in Exodus that he, he killed this Egyptian soldier and then he tried to, tried to bury him in the sand. And I, I don't think he did a very good job at that and you'll see why. Verse 25, he assumed his brothers would understand that God would give them deliverance through him. But they did not understand. The next day he showed up while they were fighting and he tried to reconcile them peacefully saying, man, come on, you guys are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed him, pushed Moses away saying, who appointed you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Whoops. At this disclosure, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian. That means he got out of town. He got out of there quickly. Where he fathered, he went to Midian, where he fathered two sons. After 40 years had passed, 
Okay, after 40 years of, of understanding that, that he was, God was going to use him to deliver Israel, 40 years later now, we arrive at the burning bush. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the desert of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. So Moses is now 80 years old. Now, if you're used to learning everything you learn about Moses from Charlton Heston... You have a tendency to watch that movie and get the idea that Moses really didn't know his heritage, didn't know who he was until really he was much older, maybe even here at the burning bush. But I take from what Stephen said, Moses knew he was to deliver. God had called him uh, to, to be this and to do this. And so he knew God's will, but, but Moses got a little bit out of order here, and he stepped out in maybe a different timing than what God had, and he stepped out in a different way, and so now he's got a problem. The Israelites don't believe he's God's deliverer, and he's murdered an Egyptian. So it's time to leave, it's time to get out of here, and we're getting ready to see God approach Moses again 40 years later. He's 80 years old now, and God hasn't forgotten It would be nice sometimes if God would forget. God, did you tell me to do that? I was hoping you forgot. No, he doesn't forget. Forty years later, God comes to approach Moses. And you know what we're going to hear Moses say? No, thank you. I I, I did that already once. I tried the whole God thing. Tried following God's will. You know what? It didn't work out that well for me, God. So if you know, go to to the guy next door or something. but, But leave me out of this. You know, that brings up a good question. Isn't following God's will supposed to be a good thing? Isn't doing what what God's called us to do kind of supposed to make things work out? I mean, for Moses, he went from being a part of the very super rich and powerful to, to being a nobody out in the desert taking care of sheep. Didn't seem to work out real good for him. But we learned something in Moses' life. Knowing God's will is a part of the equation. It's not the whole thing. Not only do you need to know God's will, folks, but you need to know God's timing. See, God has a timing to what He calls us to do, and God has a way for what He calls us to do. So Moses knew what he was supposed to do, but he he jumped. He got a little bit out ahead of God's timing, and he did it in a way. God didn't say, go over there and murder an Egyptian that's fighting with somebody. He didn't say to do that. So folks, when you are evaluating, man, what's God want me to do? What's God's call on my life? You may know that, but you've also got to be praying, God, what's your timing and what's your way? And so God hadn't forgot what he called Moses to do. Here he is 40 years later. He shows up in Moses' life and let's read what happens. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Yeah, it didn't take a lot of brains to figure that out, didn't it? I'm gonna go check this out. This is cool. Why isn't the bush burning up? Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look. Now that's a key phrase. When the Lord saw that Moses stopped what he was doing and he came over and he looked, that's when God called out to him from the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come any closer, he said. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
Lesson number two. When God calls, it's about God. Now let me say that again. When God calls, it's about God. Now I'm going to repeat that. I'm just going to warn you right now. I'm going to say it about 30 times in the course of this sermon. Because folks, this is something we completely miss. And I hope we see that by the end of this. How much we make God all about us. How much we make the call of God all about us. I I don't know if that's true of all followers. I I don't know if that's something about the American brand of Christianity. But we think that when God's speaking, when God's moving, when God's acting, it's all about me. How do we make me big? How do we advance my life? How do we make me happy? How do I get what I want? And we think that's what God exists for. Not true. When God calls, it's about Him. That doesn't mean His call won't include the advancement of you or or the well-being of you or even the promotion of you. But folks, the problem is if all God's call is about is the promotion of you, that doesn't fix anything. It doesn't fix anything in your life ultimately and it doesn't fix anything in this world. Folks, the best thing for your life, the best thing for your home, the best thing for this planet is the promotion and the advancement of God. So when God calls... It's going to be about him. Now, I've given you the lesson, jumped ahead of the story. Let's figure out what's going on here in this story. We've got Moses walking through the desert, and he sees a burning bush. Now, folks, we make a big deal out of this bush. Moses said, man, this is remarkable. A bush that burns but doesn't burn up. But you know what we miss in this? All we see is this great miracle. We miss what an ordinary event this is. Remember the context. He's in the desert. The Hebrew word for this bush is a dry, thorny bush. This isn't something with nice vegetation on it, something you'd plant yard. This is a a scraggly, dry branch, thin branch thing, and it caught on fire all the time. It got struck by lightning. It'd catch on fire. Just the heat of the day. We're in the desert. It would catch on fire. Moses has been in the desert for 40 years. Seeing a bush on fire is nothing special. That's a pretty ordinary event. But as he was walking along, he did notice that while it burned, it did not burn up. And it says there that he stopped and he went over to it. And that's when God spoke. So don't get the idea that that God's over here on the far corner of the desert, you know, jumping up and down saying, Moses, I'm over here. No, God was in a very ordinary event. Now, folks, when I read this, I'm going to tell you something I ask myself. I can't help but think. Did God show up in a very ordinary event in my life this past week? And I missed it. I didn't stop. I didn't turn aside. I didn't give God a chance to speak and see something and hear something remarkable. Folks, do you realize in all these great stories we've looked at, other than Noah, Noah certainly knew Something was coming. But when David woke up that morning, he didn't know there was going to be a big David and Goliath battle. Remember? He was just taking cheese and bread to his brothers. He was doing a mundane errand. Nothing special. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they woke up that morning, all they were doing was going to a a, a royal event, a gathering that they had to be at. Part of the job, normal stuff for the day. And now we look here at Moses. What's he doing? Is he doing something special? Is he preparing for this great day of talking to God in a burning bush? No. He's going out to the desert to do what he does every single day of his life. Take care of sheep. 
Folks, if you're waiting for some big flash in the sky and the sky to open up, that doesn't generally be how God tends to speak. He tends to show up in our mundane events. He tends to show up in our very ordinary things. The question is, do we slow down? Do we stop? Do we listen to what God is saying? Now God comes to Moses here in the bush and he says, Moses, I think we've had this discussion about 40 years ago. You're going to be the deliverer. I'm sending you to the Israelites and you're to tell them, hey, you're leaving Egypt. Now is the time. And Moses responds. You see it there in verse, uh, I think, 11. He says, who am I? Who, who, Who am I to get to do that? He's doubting himself. He just made, you realize in that question, he just made the call of God about me. God said, here's what I'm doing. Moses said, who am I? Now, in fairness to Moses, that was the last question he heard last time he tried to follow God 40 years ago. Remember what all the Israelites say? Who are you? Isn't it amazing how people's comments, people's criticisms can keep us from being passionate about God? Can can keep us from following God? Man, don't... Folks, I hope your prayer in your life is, God, would you guard my mouth? I pray that nothing ever comes out of my mouth that steals somebody's passion and desire to follow after God. And you see here, Moses, 40 years later, he remembers what people said. Last time he tried to follow God. Who am I? But folks, the challenge still is for Moses, not, not the people who, with their comments, their naysaying and their criticisms. The challenge is still for Moses. God is saying some, and Moses is saying, who am I? And God is saying, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's irrelevant who you are. It's all about who I am. Who I am, Moses. It's, it's not about that. Now, folks, I can imagine Moses sitting there thinking, you know, God, you really, you've really missed the timing on this. You know, 40 years ago, God, I was somebody. 40 years ago, I had authority. I had power. I had wealth. Man, I had a resume 40 years ago, God. But now, I got a stick. You know, Lord, I take care of sheep. I mean, really? Don't you think you've got this backwards? But, but do you hear what God is saying, folks? Hey, Moses, it was irrelevant who you, who you were 40 years ago when you thought you were something. And it's irrelevant today when you think you're nobody. It's irrelevant who you are. The only issue is who I am. Folks, when God calls, it is about God. It's about who He is. And Moses adds to the question, not only does he say, who am I? But then he goes on to say, and by the way, who are you? Who are you? And look how God answers. Look at verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Who sent Moses? Starts with a G, ends with a D. God, thank you. This is my name forever. This is how I'm to be remembered in every generation. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. Who appeared to Moses? There we go. We're getting there. I have paid close attention to you. That's the Israelites. Who paid close attention to the Israelites? And I have promised. Who promised? 
God, that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Eh, sounds like a bunch of bees, doesn't it? I, maybe that's just me. A land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to you to what you say. Then you, along with the elders of Israel, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Who met with them? God. Now, please, let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. However, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go unless he is forced by a strong hand. I will stretch out my hand. Who's going to stretch out their hand? God, and strike Egypt with all my miracles. Whose miracles are going to do this? God's. And I will, who's I? God. Boy, we're dead on now, aren't we? And I will perform in it. After that, He will let you go. Folks, lesson number three. When God calls, the reason it's all about God is because it's God that makes it happen. So you see, when you and I are continually, continually evaluating, well, how does this make me feel? What, what does this mean to me? How am I going to do this? See, that's what happens when we start making the call about us. We make it, how am I going to do this? You're not going to do it. The call of God is about God. Now, let me, let me stop here real quickly. And I keep using this phrase, the call of God, the, the, the will of God. What is that? What are we talking about there? I think a lot of times when we hear that phrase, the call of God, the will of God, we think of big things, don't we? You know, the, the call of God on my life to, to be married or to not be married, to take this job or that job, to go into the ministry, to go to the mission field. We kind of make these huge, big decisions, the, the call of God. Well, yeah, that is it. Those big decisions of life are the call of God, the will of God. But you know what? Your everyday little decisions are just as much a part of the call of God. It, folks, it's the call of God that you, you get up from your desk and you walk across the classroom or you walk across the office and begin a relationship with somebody, the kind of relationship where maybe you can invite them to church or, or maybe you can tell them a little bit about what God has done in your life or, or a relationship where you could share the gospel. It, it's the call of God, the will of God on your life that you actually go to that person and you confess your sin. You confess the wrong you did and you ask their forgiveness. It's the call of God, the will of God, that you give forgiveness. It's the call of God that you give. It's the call of God that you serve. Man, folks, if you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, you're a part of His church. And He didn't put anybody in His church to sit and watch. He actually empowered you. He actually gifted you. Well, I don't know what my gift is. Whose fault is that? He actually enabled you to become a dynamic, functioning, working part of the body. If you're not in your part, we're not the best church we can be. God called you to actively be serving and working in the church. Folks, God called you to write a note of encouragement to somebody. God called you to express your love to somebody, your appreciation to somebody. Folks, all of these things are the call and will of God. And folks, God is always speaking, always working in your life to make his call known. As a matter of fact, you know what? Every time you pick up this book and read it, every time you hear it preached, every time you hear it taught, do you realize God is speaking to you? Every single verse in this book is communicating God's will, God's call for you. 
Now let's think about it. When we open this book up, what my tendency to do is to say, I can't do that. Well, I'm not like that. I'm not even sure I believe that. Oh boy, if I do that, people won't like me. Oh, if I do that, people, people will think I'm crazy. You see what, folks? We read the Bible and we evaluate ourselves. We read the Bible and we think about ourselves. The call of God's not about you. The call of God is about God. When I read the Bible, I evaluate who God is and what He is doing. When I look out into my world, I want to understand who is God, where is He working, and what's He doing? Because it's all about who He is. It's all about what He is going to make happen. And how I join Him in that. Now you notice in chapter 3 verse 14... That uh, or, or, yeah, 14 that I just read here. W- Moses has two questions on the table. Who am I and who are you? Now, God answered who he was. Did God answer who Moses was? No, it's irrelevant. Remember what I just said? It was irrelevant who Moses was 40 years ago when he thought he was somebody. And it's irrelevant today when Moses thinks he's a nobody. It's not about who you are, Moses. God doesn't even address that question. Moses, first question, who am I? God never answers it. Because it's irrelevant who you are. I mean, could God not right here say, Moses, I can, do, I can do more through a dried up bush than you can do through a whole army. Moses, you couldn't effectively bury one soldier in the sand. I'm going to bury the whole Egyptian army in the Red Sea. It's just not about who you are. It's just not about what you can do. It's about who I am. It's about what I can do. Now, he does answer the question who he is. And his name, you see it here, he refers to himself as I am. Now, in the English language, that sounds, that doesn't sound like a name, does it? Sounds, it sounds like kind of a funny I am. That sounds like the beginning of a sentence. You, you need to finish the sentence, God. But that's his name. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. It refers to his self-existence. He is the uncaused cause. There's never a place anywhere where God can't say, I am. God's never a past tense. God's never a future tense. Wherever you go in time, I am. He is self-existent. And He is self-sufficient. He's not dependent on anyone or anything. He doesn't need anyone or anything. He is completely self-existent, self-sufficient. But you know, the good news is, what He is, it's also what He is for you and I. What's your prayer request? Gosh, Lord, I sure do need help. I am your helper. Boy, Lord, I sure do need some guidance here. I am your guide. God, I sure do need to be rescued from this mess I'm in. I am your Savior. Lord, I sure am lonely. I am your friend. Folks, wherever you are, whatever, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, God's answer for you is, I am. So here we have Moses. Moses. Standing at this burning bush. God's not answering the questions he once answered, but he is revealing who he is and what he's doing. And now we have God also in this. Did you hear a couple of promises that he made? He said, this time, Moses, they are going to believe you. Remember last time, they didn't believe you. Now they're going to believe you. Second promise, Pharaoh will let the people go. Now, they're not going to, he's not going to let them go easy, right? He says he's going to let him go, but, but he's not going to do that right away. There's going to be some problems. You see, I'm going to use his rejection. I'm going to use his rebellion to bring these ten plagues, again, against a, a sinful, idolatrous Egypt. You know, folks, sometimes when we're following in the will of God, there can be problems. That doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong. 
God may have allowed for the problems. God may be using the problems to to set up what he is going to do. Which in this case, that's exactly what he does. So he says, Pharaoh's going to let you go, but not right away. Not till after I do some things. And so then look at Moses' question in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me? Now, (laughs) isn't that question kind of like, God, I just absolutely didn't listen to a single word you said. Or if I listen, God, I just plain don't believe a single word you just said. Who's Moses still making this all about? Me. What if they don't believe you? God, he didn't say, well, God, what if they don't believe you can do it? No. What if they don't believe me? Folks, Moses is showing us what every one of us is like. We continually make everything God is doing all about ourselves. So God, you look at verses 2 through 9, and some of y'all are familiar with this story. This is where God says, here, I'll tell you what, let's do, let's do a couple miracles. We'll, we'll do some things that I'll show you what I can do, that you're going to show them. So Moses throws his rod on the ground, and it becomes a, becomes a snake. He picks it back up, it turns back into the rod. Then, then Moses, God says, hey Moses, put your hand in your coat there. Moses puts it in, pulls it out, it's filled with leprosy. Ah! It's a bad thing. We don't deal a lot with leprosy anymore, but generally speaking, you don't want it. Okay, lotion, cortisone is not going to help at all. Okay, so God says, okay, quick, put your hand back in your coat. He puts it in there. Ah, it's healed. God says, hey, Moses, that's the kind of things we're going to do. When when you get there, you're going to do those kinds of miracles. And also, Moses, you're going to turn the Nile into blood when we get there. So God is saying, Moses, I got your back. When you get there, here's what, not what you're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do through you for the people, for Pharaoh, to show the work that is going on here. And then look at what Moses says here in 410. Uh, God, I'm not, uh, not real good at uh, public, public uh, uh, you know, talking. I mean, really? R- really, Moses? You know, because that's good news, because I like created the mouth. And, and you know what, Moses? You don't even have to figure out what to say. You don't have to come up with an introduction, three points, a poem, or anything. You know, it's my mouth and it's my words. I'll help you do this. And then look at what Moses says in 4.13. You know what, God, let me, let me just get to where I'm going. Just send somebody else. Anybody else. Just send anybody but me. Now, this is kind of the point you wonder, now, why doesn't God just slap the taste out of his mouth? I mean, really? I mean, folks, he's standing in front of a burning bush that talks. You know, it just seems like you ought to listen. Maybe do what it says. He's seeing the miracles and all of this. He says, God, just send somebody else. And the next verse is beautiful. I mean, folks, we're going to see a, a beautiful combination of anger and compassion. God actually has the ability to be perfectly both at the same time. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, Isn't Aaron, your, Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also he is on his way now to meet you. When he sees you, his heart will rejoice. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both of you and him to speak, and he will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will be your spokesman, and you will serve God as God to him. And take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. God is angry, and even as we read the story further, which we're not today, but even as we read the story further, we see that God continues to be angry with Moses because he continues to struggle with really trusting God and following God on this. But yet, even in that anger, he says, you know what? I'll acknowledge your fear. 
You're afraid to go speak. I will send your brother instead of you. No, I will send your brother with you. Lesson number four, folks. When God calls, you have to respond. And when I say you have to, you don't have to. But what, what does that mean? What, what is the option? No, God, I choose to continue to live a very small, insignificant life where the only story is about me and how I feel and what people around me think about me. And when I die, it's over. I live a worthless life that then goes into the dirt. Folks, do you realize that God wants to write a great story with your life? God wants to write a great story. God's not done writing great stories. And he's not done using people. And the great character of of Moses was not something that you can't be or do. He was humble. That's it. He was humble. He did ultimately learn. This is not about me. It's about God. And he responded to what God said. You know what that means, folks? It means that when I pick up my Bible, I'm no longer looking for how does this help me? How does this make me happy? How does this make me wealthy? How how does this get me what I want? How does this make the bad things go away? It means I look into my Bible and I just want to know who God is. I just want to know what God is doing in the world. As I leave my Bible and I head out into the day filled with prayer, I'm, I'm not praying about, hey, God, protect me, help me, which are okay prayers. But I've got a greater prayer. God, let me see you in this world. Let me see what you're doing. Let me see who you are. Show me how I can join what you're doing. God, I want to respond to who you are and what you're doing. Folks, God will write a great story in this world through your life. You know, we are so absorbed with self. We can sit here and listen to a story like this. And what, what some of us, many of us, I don't know what the number would be, but some of us are seeing right now thinking, God, God, God's not going to show up in something ordinary and speak remarkable in my life. Why? Why? Based on what can you say that? Well, because I just, yeah, it's always going to be because I. You can't say, well, it's because God doesn't use people like me, really, because that's not what Scripture says. Well, because I'm not strong enough, really, it doesn't say anywhere in here that God used this person because of how strong they were. Well, I'm not smart enough, it doesn't say anywhere that God used this person because of how smart they were. I mean, folks, whatever excuse you use, there's nothing like that in Scripture. There's nothing that says God can't use you, won't use you. God wants to do something great in and through your life. Not so that you get big and famous, so that He gets big and famous. And it's your life He wants to do that. He wants you. He wants you to be the burning bush. Will you respond? Just think this past week when you read the Bible, when you prayed. Were you thinking about who God is and what he's doing? Or were you thinking about who you are and what you're doing? Join God in what he's doing. Don't look for ways to beg him to come join what you're doing. Folks, the world doesn't need what you're doing. As a matter of fact, not even you need what you're doing. But you do need him. And you do need what he's doing. Will you let God write a remarkable story through you? Let's pray.
Father God, would you help our unbelief? God, would you, would you give us discernment and let us see how often maybe we're, we're ignoring you, disobeying you because we're using that word I. Oh God, I pray as we walk into this world this week, as we, as we pray, as we open your word, as we relate, as we go to work, as we go to school, God, would you just make us really, really sensitive to just looking at every ordinary thing going on around us. And let us see where you might be working. Let us see where you might be speaking. God, give us the faith to come over to you. God, would you help us get over ourselves? Would you help us to get consumed with who you are? God, I, I want for me, I want for my family, I want for my friends in here. God, I, I want us to be a thousand great stories you're going to write this week. Not so that we're big and famous, but so that you're big and famous. In Jesus' name I pray.